What we are learning here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 so far is not only is there to be purity in the marriage, but permanence in the marriage as well. The divorce rate growing in the church in the last several years, interesting that is happening at a time where ministries, more ministries, have been developed and have started dedicated to ministering to married couples and to the family. So why is the divorce rate so high? Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. There was confusion, particularly in this first part that we're going through when it talks about given to each other in that physical sense and, and the affection that is due to each other that you recall that as we went over the book of Colossians in Philippians last time, that there was that early doctrine called Gnosticism. In Gnosticism, you recall, that it believed, part of their belief and doctrine stated, that all things that were physical and all things that were material were evil. And so there was two different camps. There were those who, who believed that um, you know, you should abstain from any kind of material, physical uh, things that would bring any kind of pleasure to you, that you're to stay away from it, or that you should go out and just indulge, just kind of like the eat, drink, and be merry kind of attitude and just please, you know, your physical uh, desires and fleshly desires. And so, again, it brought confusion to the Christians. And so in this whole area of the marriage relationship, Paul begins to address that. As we read again in verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So right away, Paul actually puts a stamp of approval on singleness and celibacy. And the word to touch here means, and is in reference to, again, the physical relations in the marriage uh, relationship. He starts out by saying, first of all, that it is good to be single and celibate. In verse 2, but nevertheless... It is also good to be married as well because of sexual immorality. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So Paul's going to emphasize a little bit later on about uh, singleness in this chapter. There's some benefits to being single as long as you keep yourself pure. That's what you are to do. But understanding that because of of sexual immorality that was ever so present in that culture, and it's ever so present in our culture as well. It is appropriate for a husband and wife to give to each other in that sexual sense. Now, I do not think that the apostle is suggesting that Christians go out and find another Christian to marry just to keep from falling into sexual sin. Because he has such a... uh, much higher view of marriage than that. And as we go through this chapter here, we're not going to see all the principles and truths concerning marriage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We will see a lot of them. But as you take the whole of the New Testament, even the whole of the Scripture, we know that God has much more to say about marriage. Paul would write much more about the roles of husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5 and also in Colossians chapter 3. 
Peter would write about marriage and husbands and wives in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so in this chapter, Paul's purpose here and what we're reading is the reality of singleness and the temptations of singleness that can be there and that the physical relations are to be uh, enjoyed only between the husband and the wife and it's okay and appropriate for the husband and wife to enjoy that. In verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the apostle affirms that you are to be affectionate towards one another in the marriage relationship. Render to each other the affection that is due. But I want to give us a secondary application here that I think is important. Because the primary application and interpretation, what Paul is talking about primarily, is the physical relations between a husband and a wife. Give her the affection that is due. But a secondary application is this. That it's more than just the physical act. And husbands and wives, what I pray for those of you who are here, that you would give the affection that is due to your spouse, that husbands that you would be tender-hearted towards your wife and that you would treat her with compassion and you would tell her how much you love her, that both of you towards each other, that you would speak kindly and that you would encourage each other and that you would just, again, be communicating those things, expressing how valuable your marriage is to each other, expressing that love for each other. That is part of the affection that is due to your spouse. And that needs to be a continual thing. I think sometimes married couples, they think the affection is just a physical act. It isn't that. And then the rest of the time, they don't talk. They're not really coming together and communicating. They're not being tender-hearted towards each other, compassionate towards each other, caring and expressing those things to each other. And so that expression is more, as I mentioned to you, than a physical act. God created the physical act to be the expression and the experience of love in the deepest human level for it to be a very beautiful and very powerful bond between husband and wife. And again, the world comes along and cheapens it. Paul says, don't be depriving one another. The physical relations between a husband and wife are God-ordained and commanded. And that a married couple should not withhold from each other unless it is by mutual consent and then for a specific period of time as you give yourselves to prayer and fasting. But then the couple is to come together once again lest they be tempted by Satan. He's the one who tempts us in verse 6. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were given as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So it's interesting. You can think, sometimes people will say, that who is Paul to talk about marriage when he isn't married? He states here very clearly that he is single. The thing that we need to understand as he goes through this that he says that this is a commandment from God. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. 
So this isn't just Paul's opinions as, as he writes these commandments. Here he's saying that, you know what, this is not a commandment. This is a concession. This is something that he is making very clear at this point in the verses 7 and 8. He's saying if you are single, it's good to remain single at that point. But if he's going to go on to say, if not, then be given over to marriage. Now, it is interesting to think. Was Paul the Apostle ever married? We don't know with certainty because the scriptures are silent on that. But when you think about it historically, and some uh, biblical scholars suggest that it could have been very well or a good possibility that Paul the Apostle was married at one time. Again, we don't know for sure. But the reason that we suggest that perhaps Paul was married at one time in his life is because, first of all, Paul was a rabbi. And it was strongly suggested that rabbis be married, and it was important to them, particularly at that time, that they be married and they would fulfill the commandment that to be fruitful and multiply. So to be married and to have children, because God said that. God said to be fruitful and multiply. So that was important to a rabbi's life. But also we know that the scripture shows us very clearly that Paul perhaps was, and an indication is, that he was a member of that Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin Council. And the Sanhedrin Council was made up of 70 members of Pharisees and Sadducees. We know from Philippians chapter 2 that Paul was a Pharisee. He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in the book of Acts, Paul the Apostle, before he was known as Paul, his name being Saul, we know that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first deacon, was stoned, wasn't he? He stood before the religious council, the the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they voted to stone Stephen, and they took him out, and Acts chapter 7 says that Paul gave the consent for the stoning, and also that he held the coats of those who were doing the stoning. At that time, Paul, as known as Saul, began to heavily persecute the church, as you read about in Acts chapter 8, before his conversion on the road to Damascus. We know that when Paul was given his testimony later on in the book of Acts, that he would say that he gave the vote to consent to the stoning of Stephen. So it is very evident that Paul was a member of that council. You say, why are you mentioning that? Because ancient rabbinical and and Jewish writings indicate that when the Sanhedrin council was first formed, that one of the requirements to be a member of the Sanhedrin is they had to be married. So if Paul indeed was a member of the Sanhedrin, he perhaps was married at one time. Again, we can't say with certainty. If he was married, what happened to his wife? Again, the scriptures are silent. Could have been that perhaps that she died. It could have been that perhaps she left Paul when he became a Christian. Again, that's only speculation. But we do know that at the time that he's writing this letter and in his missionary journeys that he is in a state of being single. He talks about in 2 Corinthians about the other apostles that travel with their wife. And specifically, he talks about Peter, how he travels with his wife, but Paul didn't because he wasn't married. He was single at this time. And he goes on and he says about singleness, he says, I wish that all men were even as myself. So Paul here is recognizing the benefit of being single, which he's going to touch on much later, and we'll spend some time on that. But each one has his own gift from God. Marriage itself is a gift from God, just as singleness is, and some have one gift and some another. 
So Paul makes a statement, I, I believe, because of the freedom and independence that he has as a single person to serve Christ. But he did not expect all believers to be unmarried. He did not expect all who were single to stay single. And for those who are already married, it be, would be wrong to live as if they were single, to become celibate while married. So Paul speaks of the benefits of being single, which he'll expand on when we get to verse 32. And he is going to say, whether you are single or whether you are married, it is a gift from God. And I think that where a lot of Christians can find themselves in a trap, listen, is wherein they begin to develop the mindset of the grass is greener on the other side. If I was single, I wish that I was married. And I understand that can be a good thing. But I understand that there are those who are married that wish they were single. So you don't want to just get into that mindset of the grass is greener on the other side. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we continue on. Paul says there's benefits in both states. He's going to say in this chapter that in the state that you find yourself in, that you can use that state to serve Christ full on. But we are to keep our marriage vows. We are to live as we are called. Paul says in verse 8, to singles and widows, remain as I am if you are called to that. But if they cannot, verse 9, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you are single, stay celibate. And understand it is a gift from God. If you are married, then keep your marriage vows. There is to be even purity in the marriage, even though you are given to each other, in the physical relations, but it is a gift from God as well. But no one's gifted for sexual immorality. And I want to remind you again that having a strong sexual desire is not alone a reason to get married. Paul does recognize that not everyone has the gift for singleness and celibacy. And it's okay to get married, is what he says, to enjoy the physical relations that you have with your spouse. But the reason I'm making this point is because I've counseled a lot of couples over 18 years. And sometimes you get the feeling, or sometimes it is the reason I want to get married, the overriding reason is because of that that physical desire that I have to be in relations in the marriage covenant. And I understand those desires are there, but it can't be the primary reason. It can't be the overriding reason. It is to be enjoyed. And I understand that there can be loneliness when you are single. But the thing is, you want to make sure that you're marrying that godly person, that you and whoever it is, that you're praying about being married to as you grow in your relationships, that you are seeking God in prayer, you're seeking Him, that you are asking what His will is for your lives, and that you have confidence that whoever you're marrying, that you're going to be able to move forward together spiritually and maturing and growing in the things of the Lord. You're not just getting married to fulfill some desires physically. That will be enjoyed, and I know that's a part of it, but it's not all of it. The primary reasons are spiritual, that we're going to come together as one, we're going to grow together in the things of God, and we're going to have a blessed marriage because of those things. So the apostle goes on to talk about the marriage vows that, that married couples are to keep, verse 10. 
Now to the married. So he's answering another question here. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So now this is a commandment of the Lord. It's not just his opinion or what his take is. He says, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. When Paul writes now to the married, indicating Answering that question, dealing specifically now with marriage and divorce. Paul states you are to stay with your spouse. This isn't just my command. It isn't the command of Pastor Jeff. It's the Lord's command. Divorce was very common in Corinth. It was not uncommon for people to be married several times in this city. And I mentioned that they here were wondering about this. Should I divorce? Because perhaps... They're wondering if it was okay to be divorced or because I'm married to an unbeliever, which he, again, is going to address very specifically. What do I do now? Do I divorce the unbelieving spouse? Do I remain single? Am I free to remarry? Here Paul begins by saying, you stay with your spouse. Keep your marriage vows. It is the commandment of the Lord. Making reference again to Matthew chapter 19 when they came and they asked Jesus about marriage and divorce. And Jesus answering their questions, the, the religious leaders asking Jesus questions similar to what the Corinthians are asking Paul. So Jesus said, have you not read? Then in the beginning he made them male and female, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh and be joined together. And he would go on to say that they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And we are very clear what God has to say concerning marriage is this, that when you come together in a marriage relationship, that you're no longer two, that you are one. And it is God's intention that we know by the word of God and by Jesus' words that they are to remain married for the rest of their lives. That's God's intention. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man put asunder. In the book of Malachi, marriage is called the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. In that same chapter of Malachi in chapter 2, he says, the Lord, that he hates divorce, not the divorced person. He says he hates divorce. Why? Because of what it does. Because of the hurt and the pain that it brings to the divorced couple. And I know that very well there are people that come here to Calvary Chapel that you've been through a divorce and you've been through that hurt. And I am so sorry for that. We live in a society where jokes are made about divorce. Hollywood and TV makes light of it. We live in a nation where the divorce rate for the last several decades have been around 50%, half of marriages in our society and in divorce. We are in a church age right now where we have seen in the last 30 years the divorce rate skyrocket in the church, where the church, some statistics are indicating that those who are church, whatever that means exactly, that the divorce rate is just as high as those who are unchurched. It is a serious problem in the church not only bringing hurt and pain to the married couple spiritually, emotionally, financially, but the implications to the children of divorced couples. It is very difficult. 
And the reason that I'm saying this is because we should never, ever be deceived into thinking, well, divorce is no big deal, like society says to us. No big deal. A lot of people get divorced. What we are learning here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 so far is not only is there to be purity in the marriage, but permanence in the marriage as well. The divorce rate growing in the church in the last several years, interesting that is happening at a time where ministries, more ministries, have been developed and have started, dedicated to ministering to married couples and to the family. It's happening at a time where there's more books that are out there in the Christian circles written about marriage, more seminars that are available, more counselors in, in, in counseling married couples in Christian churches that have set up shop in virtually every city in America. There are more conferences that are available. So why is the divorce rate so high? I'm not going to stand up here and so arrogantly act like I have all the answers. But in the times that I have talked with couples and what I have seen over the last 18 years of being in ministry, I do know that there is one answer. I know there are different situations for every couples that bring hurt or the friction and fracturing of the marriage covenant. But I do know what works is a couple coming together that is surrendered to the Lord. And that's what makes a godly and successful marriage. It's two people that are married that will come together and say, we're going to be devoted to the Lord. We're going to desire to live in a way and come together seeking the Lord and looking to keep our marriage strong because of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes about marriage He writes about Christ and the church. He writes, it's a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, the Lord is committed to us, isn't he? He loves the church. He will present us to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. We are members of his flesh. In other words, we are one with Christ. So he says it's a mystery that your relationship with Christ is like a relationship in the marriage. So husbands, what are you to do? You are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. You know what that means, husbands. I've said it so many times. You lay down your life for her. You love her as Christ loves you unconditionally, supremely. You show compassion towards her. You serve her. Just as Christ said, I came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. That you are one, that you are a protection and a covering to her. That you lead your home. That you show that tenderheartedness and you show that love to her in a way that is pleasing to God. And he will show you how to do that as you say, Lord, help me to do that. And as you grow in your love for him, there's no other shortcuts. I can give you 20 steps practically what to do. There's some principles I can give to you that will help. But it's a heart coming and saying, Lord, you've called me to be a husband, to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And so, Lord, help me to do that, to love her unconditionally, supremely, with that agape love. Wives, respect your husbands, is what the scripture says. You encourage him. Pray for him. Submit is what you're to do. Unto him as unto the Lord, it says. It's a picture of Christ and the church is what it's to be. And you are one with Christ. You are one with your spouse. 
And the marriage covenant is so holy and binding in the vows that you give to each other that Paul writes, if you depart, let them remain single or be reconciled back to your spouse. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, if you divorce except for the case of sexual immorality, you marry another, you've committed adultery. That's how serious the marriage vows are to God. Now again, I know that Some have been divorced for whatever reason and for various reasons. And I'm sorry for the hurt and pain and whatever you've gone through, and I know that there is forgiveness. We're going to talk about more this next week. But you who are married today, do you understand that God desires for you to keep your vows And God will enable you to keep your vows as you submit to him. And understand that I really believe that in the marriage relationship that God wants your love to grow for each other just as it grows for him. And that's a real key. As you grow in your love for him, your love for each other are going to grow and grow where it's going to be strong. You see, he doesn't want you just to have a marriage where you put up with each other. He wants you to have a marriage where you really love each other. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.